Chapter Twenty Five of Aunt Jane's Nieces Abroad. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Aunt Jane's Nieces Abroad by L. Frank Baum. Chapter Twenty Five. Turning the Tables. No sooner had the notes ceased than Kenneth sprang from behind a rock that had concealed him and grasped the child in his strong arms, trying to cover her mouth at the same time to prevent her from crying out. Tato developed surprising strength. The adventure of yesterday had so thoroughly frightened her that when she found herself again seized, she struggled madly. The boy found that he could scarcely hold her, so he enfolded her in both arms and, letting her scream as she might, picked up her tiny form and mounted the slope of the hill leaping from rock to rock until he came to a broad boulder twenty feet or more above the path. Here he paused, panting, and awaited results. The rock doors had opened promptly. Even while Kenneth struggled with the brigand's daughter, Patsy could see straight through the tunnel and into the valley beyond. The child had dropped her bundle in the effort to escape, and while Kenneth was leaping with her up the crags, Patsy ran forward and secured the money, returning quickly to her position facing the tunnel. And now they heard shouts. In the sound of hastening feet as Ildusa ran from the tunnel, followed closely by two of his brigands. They paused a moment at the entrance, as if bewildered, but when the father saw his child in the grasp of a stranger and heard her screams, he answered with a roar of fury and prepared to scramble up the rock to rescue her. That was where Patsy showed her mettle. She hastily covered the brigand with her revolver and shouted warningly, Stop! You are a dead man! It was wonderfully dramatic and effective. Uldusus shrank back, scowling, for he had no weapon at hand. Leaning against the entrance to his valley, he glared around to determine the number of his foes and the probable chance of defeating them. Kenneth laughed boyishly at his discomfort. Kneeling down, the youth grasped Tato by both wrists and lowered her body over the edge of the rock, so that her feet just touched a little ledge beneath. He continued to hold fast to her wrist, though, and there she remained, stretched against the face of the rock fronting the path in full view of all, but still unable to move. From this exasperating sight, Ildulso glanced at Patsy. She was holding the revolver rigidly extended, and her blue eyes blazed with the excitement of the moment. It was a wonder she did not pull the trigger inadvertently, and the thought that she might do so caused the brigand to shudder. Turning half around, he beheld a third enemy quietly seated upon the rocks directly across the path from Kenneth. Her pose unconcerned as she rested her chin lightly upon her left hand. It was Beth, who held her revolver nonchalantly and gazed upon the scene below her with calm interest. The Duke gave a cough to clear his throat. His men hung back of him, silent and motionless, but they did not like this absolute and dangerous defiance of their chief. "'Tell me then, Tato,' he called in English. "'What is the cause of this trouble?' "'I do not know, my father, except that these are friends of Signor Merrick, who have secretly followed me here.' The carefully arranged program gave Patsy a speech at this point, but she had entirely forgotten it. "'Let me explain,' said Beth coldly. "'You have dared to detain in your robber's den the persons of Mr. Merrick and Count Ferralti. You have also demanded a ransom for their release. That is brigandage, which is denounced by the laws of Sicily. We have appealed to the authorities, but they are helpless to assist us. Therefore, being Americans, we have decided to assist ourselves.' We command you to deliver to us on this spot, safe and uninjured, the persons of our friend, and that, without any unnecessary delay. The Duke listened with a sneer. And if we refuse, Signorina? If you refuse, 
if you do not obey at once i swear that i will shoot your child tato whose body yonder awaits my bullet and afterward i shall kill you as she spoke she leveled the revolver and aimed it carefully at the exposed body of the child the brigand paled and grasped the rock to steady himself bah no girl can shoot from that distance he exclaimed scornfully indeed take care of your finger called beth and a shot echoed sharply among the mountainside the brigand jumped and uttered a yell at the same time whipping his right hand underneath his left arm for beth's bullet had struck one of his fingers and then flattened itself against the cliff that settled all argument as far as old was concerned for he now had ample evidence that the stern-eyed girl above him could shoot and was not to be trifled with all his life he had ruled by the terror of his threats Today he was suddenly vanquished by a determination he dared not withstand enough he cried have it your way he spoke to his men in italian and they hastened through the tunnel glad to escape following their departure there was a brief silence during which all stood alert then tato still half suspended against the cliff said in a clear soft voice father if you think you can escape let them shoot me and keep your prisoners the money for their ransom I brought to this place, and they will pay it, even yet, to save their friends from your vengeance. Do not let these wild Americans defeat us, I beg of you. I am not afraid. Save yourself, and let them shoot me if they will. Kenneth afterward declared that he thought the jig was up then, for they had no intention whatever of harming Tato. It was all merely a bit of American bluff, and it succeeded because the brigand was a coward and dared not emulate his daughter's courage no no tato cried the duke brokenly as he wrung his hands in anguish there is more money to be had but i have only one child you shall not harm a hair of your head my pretty one patsy wanted to yell bravo but wisely refrained her eyes were full of tears though and her resolution at ebb tide fortunately the men had made haste they returned with surprising promptness pushing the amazed prisoners before them uncle john as he emerged from the tunnel looked around upon the tragic scene and gasped well i declare count ferralti was more composed if equally surprised he lifted his hat politely to beth and patsy and smiled with great satisfaction you are free said aldosa harshly go they lost no time in getting the brigands between themselves and the mouth of the tunnel and then kenneth gently drew tato to a place beside him and assisted her to clamber down the path good-bye little one he said pleasantly you're what we call a brick in our country. I like you, and I'm proud of you. Tato did not reply. With streaming eyes, she was examining her father's shattered hand and sobbing at the sight of the blood that dripped upon the rocks at his feet. Get inside, called Beth sharply, and close up that rock. Lively now. The girl who could not shoot still sat toying with her revolver, and the mountaineers obeyed her injunction. The rock promptly closed, and the group of Americans was left alone. Then Beth came slowly down to where Patsy was hugging Uncle John in a wild frenzy of delight, and Count Ferralti was shaking Kenneth's hand with a face eloquent of emotion. Come, she said, her voice sounding faint and weary. Let us get away from here. It was a pretty game while it lasted, but I'll feel safer when we are home again. Where's the money? I've got it, said Kenneth, holding up the package. What? Didn't you pay? demanded Uncle John, astounded. Of course not, dear, said Patsy gleefully. Did you think your nieces would let you be robbed by a bunch of daggers? Peralti caught hold of Beth's swaying form. 
Look after your cousin, he said sharply. I think she has fainted. End of chapter 25 Recording by Chelsea Baker